21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Who is in charge, a horse or a person riding it? <laughs> well, I think it's sort of teamwork in a way. <laughs> you got to get the horse to cooperate um, and sort of give it some direction. But if you don't participate, and that's the way it is with money. If you're not participating, if you're just letting the horse drive you, who knows where you're going to end up? Uh, on the side of the road, not moving forward or going backwards. And so it's a joint effort. You got to rely on the horse, but you also got to give him a couple of carrots and say, hey, this could be a good relationship. <laughs> Let's make it work for both of us. So you are CFO of uh, uh, Comedy Central, if I remember well? Comedy Store. The Comedy, Comedy Store, Store, where Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan and Richard Pryor and Roseanne Barr and Jim Carrey and Sandra Bernhardt and Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, my God. Jay Leno. David Letterman. Jay Leno. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, Craig T. Nelson. Um, lots of people came out of the Comedy Store. Is it open again? No, we're um, because of the co uh, it's co not open because of COVID and LA County is so strict. So uh -huh. we're we're hoping by the summer, but we've got like a big drive-in festival coming up at the end of the month. Um, we're trying to do other things, but it's been really. Difficult. I mean, with live people or online? Uh, we're going to do live people. We don't the Zoom stuff isn't. Yeah, yeah, sure. All that funny. <laughs> Definitely. I saw Painful. some of them on Netflix actually, but it's it's not the same. They try the different the stuff in their house or outdoor. Or <laughs> it's painful I, for me personally. I find it painful. I rather be uh, be live, much much more fun. So you know uh, most of them, some of them, all of them. Um, I know some of them. Some of them are so big they they might know me because my name is on their check. But, uh, you know, they're very busy. Um, and then some of them I do, you know, I got to meet George Carlin back in the day and uh, Cheech and Chong and different things like that. But, you know, uh, they're on to bigger and better things. You know, uh, uh, Punky Johnson, who just got on Saturday Night Live, was the uh, waitstaff um, and doing comedy. And uh, she got her big, big break, Leslie Jones. So my offices are in Santa Monica and the, the club is in Hollywood. But, you know, I'm down there a couple of nights during the week. When we have big events, I'm down there. Um, I'll be at the festival, you know, handing out checks to Bill Burr and everybody um, and just hanging out. So I do get to hang with a lot of them. But, you know, they see me as the money guy. Um, so as long as the check clears, they don't really care what my name is, as long as the check says money. Um, but, uh, you know. What's going on with California? I mean, so much people are going to, to Texas and other states. What's going I on? I know. It's tempting. Well, you know, we're paying, we pay so much in tax and we're getting nothing for it. That's the problem. I think people would be okay with paying all the tax if we had roads, if we had systems in, in place. But even with the pandemic, it was handled so poorly without data, without, you know, and now we're reopening without new data because the governor doesn't want to get recalled. And it's, it's like, it has nothing to do with what's the right thing to do. He's just trying to save his ass. And uh, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And it didn't reduce the cases. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. When you 
go into different places, you're dealing with the culture of what's going on. So you're the the norms that were happening in in in, in Golden Gate, San Francisco area. Uh, it's going to be more. Well, we're happening, and that's the energy. And so even people around you are supporting that energy, even if it's not direct. And then you go to another culture. Um, they have a different emphasis. Uh, life is hard. Uh, it's, we're never going to get ahead. And so then that energy permeates everything that's going on. So that even though you come in going, I'm so excited, huh? I don't think I'm going to. And then you know, doors don't open. The flow is not happening. All of a sudden, you start to become uh, victim to that mindset if you're not consciously going. Wait, no. <laughs> I'm not taking this on. I've got to really fight against it. Uh, culture, advertising, all those things are strong. Um, and, and we get socialized a certain way and we start to buy into it, even when we've been in a different situation that tells us something different. By the way, you are some kind of money expert or how, how, <laughs> how can I define you? <laughs> Uh, I, I have a lot of experience. I never like to say I'm an expert. You know, I, I, I know as much or as little as the next person. Um, I just try to be really curious. I've had a lot of experiences. I've observed a lot of things. I've done my own personal journey. I've had a lot of tax appointments turn into therapy sessions. And so I've gotten a real sense of, you know, what goes on with people. And I was so surprised that so many decisions are emotionally based, not based on fact, not based on information in front of them, but based on my parents will be disappointed, based on I hope my wife still likes me, uh, based on whatever those things might be. And um, so we're making these decisions um, that have nothing to do with with facts. I, I was talking, I was in an interview one time and a woman called in and wanted to know how much money she should put in the prenup for when he cheats on her. And I said, wait a minute, you, you want to you wanna have a dollar amount so when your husband cheats on you, you get compensated. Are you expecting him to cheat on you? And she's like, no, but you know, my friend said I should put it in there because you know, he will eventually cheat. I was like, well, you'll eventually be right. <laughs> like, <laughs> If you go in with that mindset and you're negotiating Definitely. the price of, of what it costs to cheat. How would you define mindset? Mindset is, um, is our, our unconscious and conscious uh, belief system. And most of us are operating unconsciously and not aware that there's this under voice that's telling us what to do. So we can go out and go, I want to be rich. And that voice below says, you don't deserve it. Not you, everybody, but you, you're, you're undeserving. And so we, oh, I'm it's like, I don't want to step out because everybody already knows I don't deserve it. And we just reaffirm that. So getting aware of that mindset, instead of saying, you know, I'm broke, I'm broke. Oh, I just don't have cash flow right now. Um, I need the newest cell phone. No, I really want one. I don't need it. I need air. <laughs> I need water. And so starting to learn the differences and then also realizing, you know, I have a few clients that have accomplished the goal of, you know, I'm going to get to like two or $3 million. I'm going to be so happy. And now they've got their $3 million in the bank. They've got their big house and they're saying to me, I'm not happy. I thought all these material things would really satisfy me. Yeah, they're fun for a minute, but 
So getting a mindset of what do I want? Do I want to have amazing, rich experiences with my family? Do I want to travel? Uh, what's abundant to me? I go to places, I've been to Africa, I've been to many developing countries where people are incredibly happy and they feel incredibly abundant. And by my standard, they don't have running water. They don't have a cell phone. They don't have a fancy house. How can they be happy? I, it was such a mind um, game with me when I when I experienced all these happy people going, no, 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 you're not driving a Mercedes. You're, you're, how could you be happy? And I had to really go do some soul searching and realized, yeah, money's nice. I enjoy it. Um, but I feel incredibly abundant and I feel very grateful for what I do have. And I think most people spend their time being angry about what they don't have instead of turning around and being incredibly grateful for what they do have. We have a lot, especially in the US, um, you know, and many countries there, we have a lot and uh, we just don't recognize it. Is in charge a horse or a person riding it? <laughs> well, I think it's sort of teamwork in a way. <laughs> you got to get the horse to cooperate um, and sort of give it some direction. But if you don't participate, and that's the way it is with money, if you're not participating, if you're just letting the horse drive you, who knows where you're going to end up uh, on the side of the road, not moving forward or going backwards. And so it's a joint effort. You, you got to rely on the horse. But you also got to give them a couple of carrots and say, hey, it's going to be a good relationship. <laughs> Let's make it work for both of us. In terms of visualizing, for me, it's so important when we're working with money to uh, do affirmations, to do meditations, to then actually go into your bank accounts, go in and look at your assets and see what comes up for you. A lot of people, uh, if you ask them, what's your comfort level? Oh, I'm happy if my bank accounts aren't overdrawn. That's the benchmark. And then when there's lots of money in there, oh, I can spend it all so I can get back to my, my zero baseline. Other people, that baseline might be 50,000 or 20,000 and they go in and they go, oh, good, I'm at 20,000, I'm comfortable. It's really important. I encourage a lot of my clients uh, and people I work with to go in and talk with their money. Like open the bank accounts, go, hey baby, like go out and make more money. Let's, uh, let's make some stuff happen. Go tell your friends to join my bank account. It's a great place to hang out, right? And, and to just make it fun because most people are like, oh, what's in my bank account? What's in my portfolio? I'm losing money. And, and so to visualize, yeah, this is great. I'm abundant. Uh, I spend my mornings when I walk my dog in the mornings, uh, doing gratitude, appreciation, grateful for, grateful for breathing, grateful that I woke up, grateful for my dog, grateful for my family. And, and I just go through a litany of gratitudes. And then I'll, then I'll go in and I'll do my affirmations. I'm a loving, desirable, attractive, creative, abundant, generous person. And then I'll just, I welcome abundance with integrity because uh, for me, that's an important component. So I, 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 you know, I feel into that and I actually, actually let it, I feel it in my bones and I'm moving around so that I can energize it in me and actually believe it. I'm not just reciting it. Oh, I'm, I deserve it. I want to be rich. No, I'm abundant. And I really want to draw it in and, and take it in, take a sip of, of, 
all of that and, and just being really good about, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. And then I asked myself, what, how do I see it happening? When I, when I, when I have all this money and this abundance, what am I going to do? Am I going to share it with family? Am I going to travel? Do I want to be of service? Uh, do I want to help other people and pay it forward? And so starting to see with, instead of just saying, oh, I want a million dollars in the bank account. Why, why do I want a million dollars? And at what cost or at what benefit? So that I'm looking at cost benefit analysis, which is pretty basic accounting, right? If it's emotionally costing me to get to the million dollars or the $2 million and I've alienated my, my family and I, I don't have any friends, is it really worth the $2 million? And so trying to just take all that in and really visualize the positive and know that there also might be pushback when I step up. Here's a great example. Uh, when I do workshops, I'll buy everybody a lottery ticket uh, and everybody's scratching off. And I'll hear people say, eh, this is stupid. I never win. Uh, other people are like, yeah, it's just a waste of money. Uh, and so they'll hear, and then somebody else will win. Like, oh my God, oh my God, I just want a dollar. I want a dollar, right? And, and they, they feel it. You feel it. When you look at a bank account and you're overdrafted, your chest caves in, your stomach gets nauseous. Uh, at least mine does. And uh, it's, it's those kinds of things where we, we uh, viscerally uh, feel it in our body. And so we can feel, you know, the best way to, to really feel money is to get a couple of hundred dollar bills, right? And at least in the US, a hundred dollar bill in my wallet will stay there forever because the minute it breaks, it's gone. You know, if I use that hundred dollar bill, now I've got some 20s. They're gone in a heartbeat. So I hold on to my $100 bills. But when I actually pay with cash, I feel the loss, right? I feel the exchange. And maybe it's not a loss because maybe I'm super excited to be paying that money. But I feel the exchange instead of just swiping with a credit card and I don't feel a thing. I could charge a dollar or a million dollars. It feels exactly the same when I swipe a credit card. Regarding your communication with money, when you pay something, is there any kind of communication going on as well um, or gratitude in gratitude uh, often i try to be conscious and say out loud i'm really excited about this thank you for taking care of me um and even if i don't say it out loud inside i'll be expressing yeah i feel really good about this exchange are there any any common constraints regarding the the the, the whole model the, the whole concept during the learning phase or during the implementation phase or? I think there's a lot of times people don't trust themselves and they don't trust the process. Um, a lot of times I'll say to people, you don't have to actually understand the whole process. Uh, just trust it, just do this, create the habit, create the awareness. And so I think initially people will, oh, I don't wanna journal about this. I don't wanna say this out loud. I don't wanna talk to my money. Well, give it a try, even if it's silly. Like make it fun. But yeah, I think for a lot of people, they're like, oh, you know, it works for everybody else but me. We always assume everybody but me is capable of doing it. I mean, I find that true for a lot of people. Even people that are really, really smart and lots of credentials. They're like, oh yeah, not me. Is it about self-esteem or? Yeah, I think what happens is, you know, when we're four or five, six years old, we're making a lot of our decisions. We're taking in information and calling it fact. And in reality, we're five and six. We can't distinguish between fact and our story. 
And so what happens is we go through the rest of our lives basing things on, well, I learned at four years old, I'm terrible with math. I learned at six years old, I'm greedy or selfish. Uh, I learned that I talk too much or I'm, you know, not capable or whatever it is. And then we take that out in the world and then we reaffirm it everywhere we go. What about your life? Any tipping points? Well, you know, I became a CPA and I was broke. I was just completely broke. And people that were in lesser titled jobs than me had more money and were making better financial decisions. And I had to do a trace back. And I realized when I was in high school, uh, my mom, my parents got divorced and my mom had said to me, whether it was joking or not, said, you need to be really successful so that your siblings of which I have four, your siblings and I need to have the life we deserve. And I thought, well, why is that on me? And I'm not a good liar. So I just started making sure I had no money. So anytime anybody asked for money, I'd go, I don't have any money. I'm broke. And until I was willing to say, no, I'm actually holding on to my money and I earned it and I'm going to keep it in my bank account and I'm not obligated to take care of everybody until I could get comfortable with that. Um, I had to keep sabotaging myself. Um, once I was able to learn to say no, and that doesn't work for me, right? It, it's uncomfortable initially. People are like, what, what do you mean? You have to. No, no, actually, I don't. And so for me, that was a big moment to realize I was trying to not lie and still feel like I was obligated to do what they asked. And, and once I was able to set a boundary and get really clear about that, um, it really helped. What was the reaction? Um, well, you know, initially, uh, <laughs> initially, well, not so good. Huh? <laughs> initially, not so good. Well, that's really greedy. That's really selfish. And, and I was able to say, yeah, that probably sounds really greedy and selfish. And if you want that kind of money, go earn it <laughs> like, or do something else. But don't guilt me into feeling like I have to take care of you. Um, that's not my responsibility. Um, and I had to feel okay about that. And initially, yeah, there was a little bit of pushback, a little bit of punishment. Well, I'm not talking to you. Um, and then I also had to be careful because then there was a point where I was actually being really generous with people, but with the, with a demand underneath is you have to behave the way I say, because I'm in control, which is what my grandparents did, right? I control the money. I get to tell you what to do. And one of my family members kindly pointed out to me. So since you're paying for everything, you get to tell us all what to do and we don't get to have our own opinions. And I went, Oh, well, that's sort of ugly. <laughs> Before or after uh, they gave you a car? <laughs> uh, after. I was just unconscious. I was unconscious that I was actually actually picking up from my grandparents the same, the same manipulation. Um, and so even though I was so aware in all these other places, I had a blind spot. My energy was more frantic and not very grounded. So a lot of my life was fear-based. You know, I would fake it really well, but inside everything I would do, oh, that's going to kill me. I'm going to die if I speak up loud, if I say my name. You know, I couldn't even say my name in a large group of people and say my name and where I was from. I'd be like, oh, my name is, you know, I was just, I was, ter I was so frozen and petrified. And so that was my energy. Um, when I started doing the work and started getting more comfortable and starting to learn that sometimes people will push back and you're not going to die, um, that it started, I started testing the waters and 
I got a lot more grounded and my energy got more embodied and I'm significantly calmer. I still have a lot of energy, but it's not this frantic energy that's like, everybody's like, what's going on? You know, I, I would heighten everybody else's energy and they're like, oh, what's, and, and now it's just more, yeah, I'm here. Can you please uh, define a little bit more uh, grounded? Yeah, so for me, being grounded is that I'm more in my body and I can actually, you know, a lot of uh, our core, our, our pelvis and our, our legs are what are going to ground us, you know, literally to the earth. And when I'm actually embodying everything, when I stand, I feel present. I don't feel need. I don't feel jittery. My feet aren't tapping. I'm planted solid and I'm actually very grounded to the earth so that the energy can go through me up. You know, if you want to talk to the higher energy, um, it can flow through me without interruption because I'm, I'm present. Um, and so I do things to like help me um, get grounded. There, like there's in the work that I do with core energetics and radical aliveness, we do exercises that help get us in our bodies and help us to really ground so that we can be present instead of, oh, I, gotta, I gotta look a certain way. I gotta have an answer I got, no. Oh, this is me. Might not have it all right, but here I am. It's all good. What are the reactions of people that are more materialistic oriented when they step into that kind of, for them, new mindset, new way of thinking and doing and problem solving? Well, you know, I think for some people it's uncomfortable uh, because they'd rather stay in presentation mode. Um, I've also had people say, well, how do you do that? Like, how can you be nice to like, you, you got to be driven more like, and, and so I think there's, it's different. So it's, it's confusing to them that somebody is, I enjoy money, but it's not my driving force. And, and I think for some people, they're envious of that. Other people are like, that looks scary. <laughs> I don't want to change. Right. Cause most of us don't want to change. Um, change is traumatic change is uncomfortable and so most of us are looking for what's comfortable what's comfortable let me go there um and so i think for a lot of people that have money but i also have other people that have a lot of money that say you know what i want to do something different i'm not feeling fulfilled um i want i want what i see that you seem to have you seem to have peace of mind you seem to be comfortable with with the good and the bad and the ugly parts of myself and and all of those things and people are like, that looks really scary. But for me, it takes a lot of pressure off if I'm not trying to present. How long does the process last? Well, of course, the one thing I always want to say people is this is a lifelong relationship. Our money relationship it goes on forever. We don't get to get to a million dollars in our bank account and call it a day. We have to stay proactive. We have to stay conscious. We have to stay intentional. But having said that, I do workshops with people where we do a um, 12-week workshop once a week. And by the end of those 12 weeks, people come back to me and say, oh my God, I have a lot more money in my bank account. I didn't realize how much I was just spending frivolously. And so even within that 12 week period, we've created habits. Basically, you know, if you've got 28, 30 days, you can create a new habit. So I'm not having people going out and saving $5,000 a month or $2,000 a week. I'm saying, hey, let's start with five bucks this week. 
Let's say five bucks this week. Let's say five bucks next week. Um, hey, on Fridays, take all the $5 bills out of your wallet, put them in a jar. Uh, like little things that are doable so that people can go, oh, I could do that. And then we build, we build on that. So then, oh, well, if I could do five, I could do 10. Well, if I could do 10, I could do 20. Instead of starting with something that's very lofty, um, because most people are like, I'll start a bank account, savings account when I get my bonus. I'll do it when I get ahead. I'll do it when, like those things never happen, right? There's always a story. So if we could just start small, but I would say like in 30 days, you'll start to see a difference like immediately. Besides attending your workshops, are there any other way for us uh, to go into that topic to learn more about your concepts, ideas, models? Yeah, absolutely. So I have an online course called Mastering the Emotions of Money. Uh, it's a three-month process, and basically it takes you and reverse engineers uh, how you got where you are. So we go back, we look at childhood, we look at parents, we look at culture, we look at religion, we look at gender, and then we bring it forward. Then we start exploring fears and emotions uh, and self-worth and deserving. And then we talk about intentionality of words and being really clear with words and, and getting people really conscious. And then we take it through, what are your life goals? How, how do you do an honest budget? And, and like people can do a budget, but if they're not putting down that they spend, you know, $200 a week on, on alcohol or lottery tickets, uh, we're going to come up short in the budget. So I say to people, look, I don't care, you know, if you're doing drugs, I just need to put it in the budget. <laughs> like, I'll just call it special needs. You know, we don't, we don't need to, we don't need to out you on that, but we need to be honest about it. And so then we go through all of that and what are my goals? And then are the spending habits that I do today in alliance, in alignment, in, and congruent with what I say that I want um, so that I can stay in integrity or then reevaluate and say, well, I guess I really don't want that. And then um, I, the other way, the easiest way, um, and I, I've done this when I do talks, is I'll tell people, look, you got a, you got a right hand and a left hand. Grab the person on your left and the, grab the person on your right. These are your wing people. Like find other people. Um, maybe it's not family, but find a coworker. Find somebody else that's interested in changing their financial behavior and have a money partner, a money buddy. And, and, and actually once a week, get together with them. Hey, what did you do with your spending this week? Hey, are you reaching your goals? Um, did you get that? Uh, did you get that uh, application in for the, for the graduate class you want to do and hold each other accountable so that you can go to somebody without shame and be able to say, Oh my God, I really screwed up this week. I ate out every single day, even though I promised I wouldn't or I went on a shopping spree, or you know, I overdrafted my bank account, I thought I was paying attention, um, or hey, I, I found some extra money. And, and to just be able to talk with somebody where it's not an argument, um, because most of us think conversations about money have to be heated and unpleasant. My book, uh, the Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money, you can get that on Amazon. You can go to our website, themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, N-E-R-V-E. -E. I'm a money nerd, but it's actually the money nerve that I'm dealing with. Um, you can go to our website or Amazon, and that, that book will take you through. A, it's a great workbook. I have a lot of couples that buy that book, 
and do it together because there's calls to action at the end of each chapter um, to start conversations. Um, you know, I was talking to uh, a gentleman, uh, very successful, uh, and I asked him, "Do you treat your daughter? Would you have treated a son differently than your daughter?" And all of a sudden, oh my God, he, he he was like, "I can't believe my wife would actually say that." Yes, I do. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think I have a bias, you know. And so, even just those kinds of conversations, just raising the awareness of how do each of these things play in. So it's a great book to work with a partner, um, spouse, um, and just start learning to have conversations about money with other people without having to say, look at my bankruptcy, look at all my debt. But even if you have that, not to feel shame about it and just say, yeah, I didn't do it so well back then, but here's what I'm doing differently. What about you, by the way, today, uh, here and now, Eckhart Tolle, are you a happy, are you a happy person? How do you feel? What's going on? I feel on? great. I feel great. Any day I wake up and I'm breathing, I'm happy. Uh, you know, I, um, life is good. I, I don't get to travel right now, which I do miss. I love traveling. Um, but you know, life is really good. I, I've taken a couple of trips to Africa. I went and spent a couple, I spent a month at a rhino sanctuary um, a couple of years ago. Again, it teaches me so much of what I have, you know, and um, I don't have to go out and milk the cow and, and lug water from the river to take a shower, right? Life is good. Um, so I'm, I, I'm a happy camper. I, I, I love um, just being alive and having the opportunity to interact with people because that's really what I enjoy doing. I enjoy community. I want to be here. I want to have an impact on the world. And uh, as long as I'm breathing, I'm happy. The one thing that I, um, one of the things that when I deal with entrepreneurs and uh, uh, when I'm talking to people and even in workshops, um, the two questions that I ask myself and I tell them to ask themselves are, um, would I want to be a customer of mine? And would I want to work for me? And, you know, that's a, you know, initially, I, of course, everybody wants to work for me. It's a no brainer. But, you know, I was so driven on like, I got to, you know, get this stuff out. And I had such a vision that I was oblivious to a couple of my employees who were actually in a, in a little bit of a crisis. And I was so busy, like, no, no, don't like that I actually missed what was happening. And, and when that, when I finally was aware that this person was crying and had this reaction because I just sort of had missed it, I had to really go back and say, well, what, wait, what am I really about? If I'm so busy trying to save the world and I'm taking out the people around me, then am I really in service? And so to really sit back and look at how do I treat my employees? How do I treat the, the people, my customers, my clients? Um, if I wouldn't want to work, work for me, and if I wouldn't want to be a client of mine, like something needs to change. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. Thank you for listening to today's episode. 